The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. <laughs> Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. I'm Matthias Wagner, your host, along with my co-host, Will Lomas, as always. And it's officially a Tennessee Titans game week. This is exciting stuff, finally, after such a long summer. Um, I know we had the preseason, but it's obviously not the same as the regular season. The Titans will finally be playing meaningful football again after that crushing playoff exit uh, last season. But... Still have a lot of high hopes uh, going into this year. Um, have brought in a lot of new players, a lot of solid players, uh, and we're hoping for another great season from the team. But those hopes kind of came crashing down a little bit uh, a couple of days ago. Actually, it was almost a week ago already uh, when Harold Landry reportedly uh, tore his ACL. Adam Schefter broke the news. Um, and it seems like he's going to be out for the entire season. It would be a miraculous comeback for him to, to come back at any point, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but just crushing, really, because Harold Landry was such a key component to the defense last year. Um, then he goes in, becomes a free agent, and we bring him back on a big deal. Uh, we get so excited about that because he's been one of our favorite players for the past couple of seasons. Um, and now this happens right before the season. Uh, so it was tough. It was tough. Will, how are you handling the news? Uh, pretty bad. Uh, it's it's not it doesn't help that every, I don't know, hour there's some story from the AP or ESPN or NFL.com that acts like it just happened. Um, that or a, somebody's quote tweet in their own tweet from when it originally happened. It, it was very aggravating. Uh Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know, Harold Landry is one of my guys like from day one of the podcast, Harold Landry and Corey Davis were the two that I was, uh, you know, was confident that they were better than the, you know, better than what their stats showed. And I still contend Corey Davis is very good, but I was nobody can argue with me that Harold Landry was exactly what I said he was forever. So, uh, no, I mean, 
on a personal level, it sucks. On a covering the Titans and watching the Titans level, it sucks, um, but not as bad. Like, I, I, I mean, Harold Landry is outstanding. Like, I mean, he's he's really good at what he does. What he doesn't get enough credit for until this last week is just how much he does, like the volume, how much he plays, where he plays, what he does, how he never comes off the field, and he's on, you know – He's just as good as a run defender as he is a pass rusher, and he does all the things right. Like, it sucks that it took an ACL injury to get people to really, you know, remember his name in the national media. But yeah, like he's he's great. Like, I don't know if he would have been a Pro Bowler this year. I don't know if he would have had another double digit sack season. I like to think he would have. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't have other than the fact that everybody around is kind of healthier and maybe they get to the passer in different ways now. But yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously he led the team in quarterback hits and sacks, which are the real stats and they, it, it hurts to lose him. So that's, it, it's a pretty big blow. Yeah, I would say, I think last year he was arguably the most important player on the Titans defense, just because of how often he played um, how versatile he was. He was dropping back in a coverage like it was like it was nothing. He was rushing the pass, rushing the passer and also coming off of blitzes from like middle linebacker positions. It was just incredible, like what they had turned him into. Um, and it's going to be really tough uh, to replace him. The only other players on defense that I think um, were close coming in this year in terms of importance were Jeffrey Simmons and Kevin Byard. Um, but yeah, this is this is a big loss. I, I don't know how you can't replace him. Like we, we don't even have to go go through that route. But what do you think they're going to do at the position? I, I know they signed David and Annie back to the practice squad. That was good. We we were concerned. We didn't think he was going to make it back to be honest. So I, I think that was good news. Um, then they signed this Ter- Derek Tuska guy um, off the Pittsburgh practice squad. I believe not totally. Um, sure on that yeah, one he, but yeah he was on he was yeah. on pittsburgh um he was on the practice squad there and he originally was drafted by denver i believe mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so maybe they're trying to catch uh ola Danny 2.0 um with tusca there um i, w- I w- wouldn't put it past them they they've been really good at developing these types of pass rushers so um maybe he'll be of help but what do you think they do at the position? Do you think they make another move, or do they just rely heavily on but Dupree to keep um, recovering from that ACL from a couple years ago, Rashad Weaver to take the next step, and Anani and Adani to kind of uh, fill in on uh, passing downs? I thought it was interesting uh, that Mike. It, this is one of my uh, tenfold hat things, where. Again, if you've li- this is a lot of callback stuff because I really hadn't had to do a lot of conspiracy theory stuff over the last few years. But uh, when you listen to Mike Vrabel talk at his press conference, it sounds like he said that they're going to ask guys like Rashad, uh, Bud, Ola, and it sounds like he says David and not Derek uh, when he's talking about guys who are going to have to step up, which makes me think Anini because that's his first name. So my what I got from that small tidbit was, okay, the plan this week may have been to claim Tuska, put him 
uh, on the roster because that's how you have to add him. Make him inactive on game day and then bring a ninny up as one of the designated, like, you know, uh, elevations from the practice squad on game day. And I think that makes a lot of sense because you get somebody who can fill that role in practice and, and whatever. And then if you if you feel confident in a ninny, you can cut Tuska next week and put him on the practice squad and you can put a ninny on the active roster or you can, you know, mix and match and see who works and make a decision down the road or whatever. But the real, the really easy way to solve this is don't overthink it. Oled Aini is going to be the one who plays fewer snaps because he's a smaller guy. He's more of a kind of a one note pass rusher off the edge, which I mean, he's, it, he's not bad at it or anything like that. Don't read this as negative read into it. Like you would read into roles for a wide receiver. Like he's the speed receiver, speed rusher guy. Like you want him on the field on third down playing edge opposite Bud Dupree. So on base downs, you want Rashad Weaver. Like he's bigger, stronger, more physical, harder to move at the point of attack, can hold his own with double teams, all that kind of stuff. So he fills that role. So in an ideal world, it's run rundowns, first and second down, it's Weaver, third and fourth down, it's Ola Daney. And then you have David Anini or Tesco or whoever come up and be the other guy, quote unquote, in the mix. I, I mean, to me, that's and we we also should talk about uh, the Danico Autry part of it all because there there's this was my stop the non I have a couple of stop the nonsenses but I'll go ahead and cut into them and do this one because we're at that time of year where the Titans release their depth chart and for just whatever weird reason uh, they they feel the need to list guys as defensive ends and outside linebackers even though the Titans run a four two most of the time or like. They run in dime package and, and they don't run a traditional four three. So I don't understand why they feel the need to to list their positions like they run a three four or four three, but whatever. That that's 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 beside the point here. The point is Danico Autry played uh I, I think sixty-ish, sixty-five-ish percent of his snaps um on the edge last season. It's where he's pretty much always played on pass rushing downs. It's usually been uh, him, some combination of him, Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, and Jeffrey Simmons. But at times he played defensive tackle. At times he played defensive end because Bud Dupree was in and out of the lineup so much and Tier Tart would come in or Naquan Jones. Like I, the the four best pass rushers are not the ones that always necessarily were on the field, but it was usually, you know, three of those guys. And when Bud Dupree and Harold Landry weren't out there, he was one, he was the other edge. So I, th- I think, uh, again, this is I, I want to be careful how to say this, because, again, there's not a bigger Harold Landry fan than me, but I, I think the loss will be mitigated more easily than people think just because of how much talent they have on that roster and how they finally started figuring it out at the end of the season, because for, for however you want to say, which is more important coverage or pass rush, they have to work together. 
like Harold Landry and Jeffrey Simmons were on the team in 2020 when they had a horrific defense and Harold Landry ended up with, I think six sacks. And that's because the coverage was just so bad. So, you know, and they had Jadavian Clowney who's gone on, he's put up stats with Cleveland and, you know, they, they had bodies at the positions. They just didn't produce because the coverage wasn't there. And so the pass rush is still mostly intact. I think Denico Autry had nine sacks, and then uh, Jeffrey Simmons had had eight. Oh, eight or seven and a half, something like that. And then I think he had three in the playoff game against the Bengals. So, uh, you know, and realistically, he was a 10-sack guy. So you have pass rush from, from everywhere still. You just maybe aren't quite as deep and as top-heavy as you were before. But I think you have to be confident in what you've seen out of Weaver and Anini and Ola Adani. Like, they, they were the strong points in every preseason game. And, you know, I, I think they've all been praised for the way they've just worked really hard and attacked offensive tackles when they've been on the field. So, you know, you don't want injuries in any position. You don't want to lose a Pro Bowl pass rusher. But I, I do think they're in a good place to kind of platoon those guys at that position as long as they don't do anything crazy. Like, this is getting long-winded at this point, but – I hated when they put Harold Landry off off ball linebacker or when they dropped him in coverage or when on the goal line, they used him to cover tight ends one-on-one and it didn't work. So I don't expect them to come to their senses anytime soon on that, but maybe when they see Rashad Weaver try to do it or Danico Autry, they'll say, maybe this is just a bad idea and we should take it out of our playbook and use one of our, you know, six good corners. So hopefully they realize that, and that's a big change that comes long-term. But as long as they don't try to use the exact same playbook, it, it should be okay. Yeah, uh, to piggyback on one of the last things you said there um, about the cornerbacks, like they're legitimately five, six deep at cornerback. And if anything, this will give them uh, an excuse to use them more, you know, to go smaller, um, in some of these games that could possibly turn into shootouts, especially uh, these AFC West games where the other teams are going to be passing the ball all game. Like this is a good excuse to get your cornerbacks, which is probably your deepest position at this point, um, to get them on the field. So um, I- I'd expect them to go a little um, a-, a little smaller in, in some defensive lineups. Um, and-, and just to kind of close out the Harold Landry thing, um, I, I do think he's kind of irreplaceable, but I don't want to give too much credence to, to, to the analytics community, but there are a good amount of analytics people um, that really weren't too high on Landry in terms of his pass rush and run stop win rates. Um, so maybe like this loss won't be as as crucial as it seems at first glance, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the Titans cook up. Uh, I think they're in a position to to mitigate it um, if they play their cards right. Moving on, uh, in in terms of other news that happened um, since the last time we recorded, uh, Josh Gordon signed with the Titans practice squad. We did know, or at least we thought, that they were going to make a move at receiver after Racy McMath ended up going on IR, and they only had four receivers on the roster, um, even though technically Josh Gordon isn't on the active roster. He's on the practice squad. Um, I'm assuming he will probably um, get elevated on game days as soon as he's ready. Um, although I think I think Cody, Cody Hollister might have been 
signed to the active roster. Yeah, I think he's on the active yeah. roster. Yeah, he um, is. But let's be honest. Like, what, just get Josh Gordon in there instead of Cody Hollister. What is the what is the upside with with Hollister except for decent run blocking and an understanding uh, of the playbook? But um, yeah, it, it was good to see that make a move uh, at receiver just because uh, they were pretty shorthanded there. Yeah, and the when the Cody Hollister announcement because John Robinson basically said, "Yeah, we're putting uh, Racy on our and we're putting uh, Cody Hollister on the main roster," and the air that deflated out of the Titans fan base when they read Cody Hollister uh, was evident, and and. You know, we we should have known another move was coming just because of how different the two are. Uh, but yeah, like Cody Hollister was brought up because he's a Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, work hard guy, and I, I mean, I guess they just wanted to, to give him an attaboy and make him active and all that. But I mean, he's if he's active, it'll be because they want him to help on punt return block or, or something, you know, like, or not punt return block, punt return or punt block. Like it, it's not going to be like it, he's any kind of factor on offense. So for, for the most part, I think about this the same way. I think about the edge position where they put him on the active roster to have somebody to practice with who knows what they're doing so they can run through their game script and all that. And then, if he's ready, cool, maybe he's active, but in all likelihood, they'll use that time to make sure the guy on the practice squad is ready, whether it's David Anini or Josh Gordon, and then that guy will be the one who's elevated over the guys on uh, the active roster, which I, I don't I don't mind that strategy. Like, I, I hope that's the way they do it, because that's what, you know, if I'm trying to connect dots, that's the one that makes the most sense. But yeah, like, Cody Hollister is just a guy. Uh, we all know that at this point, but he's a guy who works hard and who will give you good looks in practice. So for for however much you want, you know, you, you believe in that or want that, that's that's what you're going to get. Um, so, you know, like I, I, I think the Josh Gordon stuff is positive. Like I think he fits what Racy does, which is if you're not – which Racy McMath – should be back. I mean, not, he's not out, you know, half the season, as far as we know, like he may be back four in weeks. four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Like, back. so, you know, four weeks is when he can come back. We don't know if he's going to come back, but I mean, I think we're all hopeful that he is and, and all that, but yeah, well, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Josh Gordon still has that gear, but you watch him and he doesn't look slow. I mean, like you watch him in drills, it looks like his feet still still move fine. I mean, it just looks like he kind of got stuck in that other guy, like sixth wide receiver in uh, in Kansas City, and that he wasn't a, a somebody that they were really like getting involved in all that. And I, you know, like if he's Josh Gordon in 2013 or whatever, yeah, absolutely, he would have been a priority and he would have made the team or whatever. But they may not have needed a guy who was a step slower than that and was a deep threat because they have Hardman and they had Tyreek Hill, you know, and they like, they've got those kinds of guys. So I, I think it, at, at the very least 
for four way for four weeks he can bluff his way through I'm going to run vertical routes and you're either going to cover me or they're going to throw me a jump ball and we'll see if I can make a play for the 10 plays he's on the field. And, and I think that's I think that's exactly how he should be used and hopefully that's that's what the coaching staff sees too. Sorry, my mic was muted, but um, yeah, I was going to say that he's very much just a situational player right now, but I still think he's a talented situational player who, in the right circumstances, could, could still produce decently. Like, he's not going to break open any games, um, but I think he could still get open deep, um, and even in, on these contested cast situations, he could still go up and get it. He, he did it the past couple of seasons when he's actually gotten a chance um, so we'll see. We'll see if they actually use him uh, or not. Um, to finish up with some of the news that's been going around, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Traylon Burks. A report recently came out from Dan Graziano of ESPN.com. Uh, he was doing like uh, 32 NFL team surprises, like for every single team. Um, and he wrote, don't be surprised if Traylon Burks leads all rookie receivers in catches. What he's hearing is that Robert Woods is slated to be the number one receiver, but the Titans have a major role planned for Burks and have been getting him extra reps in the preseason to get him up to speed quickly after a difficult spring. There's a run first team, but the Titans have big plans for Burks and would like, I don't know why like is in is in italics, but to feature him prominently, prominently in the passing game. So um, that kind of, falls in line with what we've been seeing recently. Like it very much seems like he's gotten everything, his act together. Everything is going well. Um, the Titans like him. Um, and I don't think him playing into the fourth quarter of the preseason games meant anything negative. And, and I think this is just another positive report after really a full month of positive reports on him. Um, and he's been, he played really well in the preseason. I wouldn't be surprised if week one, he comes out, plays 50, 60% of the snaps and just is super efficient with his touches. And I, I hope he is because just so he could shut everyone up already, uh, about those off season storylines. But, uh, this report really wasn't anything too surprising to me. Um, and I don't think it is to you either. No, I mean, I, if you ask me, is he going to be, is he going to outsnap Nick Westbrook Akina Akine uh, in Week One? I don't know. I, I I would, I would say no, just out of force of habit. But if you ask me who was going to play more snaps in October, then I'd say Traylon Burks for sure. So, because that report, when you like, when you read that quote. They talk more about like, you know, he'll take his bumps, uh, take their lumps if there are any early. And then because they know the payoff down the road will be really good. And so. To me, that sounds like they're going to try to give him reps that they wouldn't normally give rookies, which, you know, cool. But anytime he's been throwing the ball in practice by Tannehill, you know, the, the third preseason game when Malik Willis finally started like really getting up to speed and seeing things a little bit faster and was, was taking his steps forward. You know, he, he got his touchdown. He had a catch, you know, he did, he jumped three feet in the air to, to go up and get a ball. The first pass of the game that was way too high, you know, he made a catch and then went up the sideline for a first down. Like 
uh, he's done good. You know, he and he got. Uh, I should mention this too. He got hurt a little bit and then came right back in and scored a touchdown after. And Mike Vrabel said uh, said later that uh, he that he asked Traylon, you know, if he wanted to come out or something to that effect. And Burks wanted to stay in. And not only did he do that, but the first couple of times he was on the field, he was run blocking. And they complimented how he went up and dug a safety out and you know created a lane there and run blocking. So he basically earned his way into, uh, you know, pass targets later when it counted. So not only is he doing well in practices and making the one-handed highlight catches and making the 75-yard, you know, deep receptions versus Tampa Bay and team period, or, you know, not only is he doing all that stuff, but he's run blocking. We know he can get open. We saw it every week of the preseason. Uh, we, we know that he's doing the little things and whether they want him to play in the slot or outside or, you know, uh, cause I think he's predominantly played outside in preseason games, but we know he can play in the slot. So, I mean, he's doing everything you could possibly ask. He's working with the first, second and third team offenses in, the, in practice. Like you couldn't ask for him to do any more. So it does not surprise me that it, it's, you know, all systems go, let's, let's, Let's make something happen because you can't watch his Arkansas tape when he's the best player on Arkansas's team and he has 50% of their receiving touchdowns and, and say, you know, this guy, you know, you, you look at him and you say, this guy's clearly a marked man. They clearly want to stop him and they just can't. So, I mean, why wouldn't you try to translate that to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, we'll see how much he plays uh, in this first game, but I, I have no concerns for him um, heading into this season. I think he's going to have a, a, a very good season uh, overall, barring um, injuries or anything of that nature. Um, but I really do hope that they come out in week one and just feed him. I think that would be awesome. Um, and I think I think they're going to – we'll talk about uh, the game uh, right after this ad break, but I think they're going to have chances to feed him um in garbage time situations but um let's take a quick ad break here and then we're going to come back and talk about the giants week one sorry the titans week one opponent uh the new york giants say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So we're finally here. It's a Tennessee Titans uh, game week. They open up with the New York Giants at home. Um, is this a trap game, Will? What do you think? A tra- trap game is weird, right? Because 
Uh, are you asking me, do I think— It can't be a trap game because the teams haven't played yet. Yeah. It, is this a like, potential situation where the Titans overlook their opponents? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think so because, for one, Adoree Jackson's on the other side of the ball and not— that they, you know, not that they're all like talking smack with Adoree Jackson or anything, but they know Adoree Jackson. Like, I mean, the coaching staff knows him, you know, they, they cut him and he went and got a big deal and he's played fine for the giants. Like it, it he's, so it's not like they don't know anybody on that team and it's not like they aren't watching the giants when they play cause they're in prime time. So they, they know kind of who they are and uh, you know, what, what they're trying to be, but, oh man, I just, I like, if they lose, it was because it was a trap game. Like, and that sounds kind of like, uh, it's, it sounds like I'm, I'm making it sound like the only way they could lose is if they just don't take them seriously. But that's kind of what it is. Like last year, the Titans thought that they were going to be able to keep up with the Cardinals and that they, they had it all figured out because they thought they could contain Kyler Murray. They couldn't, that they struggled in that game and it showed up and that they didn't really have those problems the rest of the season. But that that was a game where they thought that they had it figured out. And then when, you know, the rubber hit the road, they didn't know what they were, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. The young guys like uh, like Elijah Molden, like missed on Christian Kirk, I think twice and didn't really understand what he was doing. And, you know, th- there were different things that went wrong. Todd Downing notoriously, I think, had one play action pass called in that whole game. Uh, it, so, you know, he, he completely misunderstood what this offense was supposed to do. So, you know, like, is it a trap game? No, that they shouldn't take them lightly. And Mike Vrabel historically has done a really good job making sure that the first game of the season, that they don't take people lightly. But I also, you know, it's a new coaching staff. We don't really know what they're going to try to do. They know what we're going to try to do. So they have a lot more information on the Titans than the Titans have on the Giants right now because you can only really guess what uh, what they're what they're going to take from the Bills playbook on offense and what they're going to take from the Ravens playbook on defense until they actually get out there and try because there's been times when the Ravens have shut down Derrick Henry like. We, we can talk about this some other time, but uh, the playoff loss to the Ravens was as much on Derrick Henry and their inability to run and not on Derrick Henry himself, but just on the rushing game and, and the production of that offensive line and the plays that were being called by Arthur Smith at the time. But, uh, you know, I think he averaged like 2.6 yards per carry. Like, and that was the year he had 2000 yards. So, uh, I mean, they figured out how to stop him before, but they've also had times where they've gotten completely run all over and, you know, notoriously when the Titans beat them when they were the one seed and then when they beat them in overtime a few years ago. So, I, I mean, what what you're going to get, I don't know. But I, that that's if there's something up their sleeve that they hadn't shown, this will be the only time they can really pull that out. So in that respect, if they think they know what the, what the Giants are going to do and they – you know, misevaluate and just completely are off base with their, with their scheme, then, you know, like that, that could be an issue. 
it's interesting you bring up Derrick Henry um, and the fact that uh, Donk Mar- Don Martindale has actually been like really uh, effective um, in terms of limiting his ability. Um, but I just I think he's going to crush in this game. And I, I think that's where the Titans have the biggest advantage. It, it's in the run game because I look at this Giants front seven and I really just don't see a way that they're going to be able to to limit Derrick Henry in the Titans offensive line. Like Dexter Lawrence is a big guy and I think he's a solid player. Leonard Williams, obviously a very good player, but then you look at the rest of their team, Ashani Shimane, I don't even know how to say his name is stepping in for Kayvon Thibodeau. Who's probably not going to be able to play in this game. Do that MCL sprain. Azizo Jalari is a really small pass rusher. Take Crowder is playing linebacker for them. He's just like a converted safety. Austin Calitro is their starting um, linebacker in place of Blake Martinez, who they just cut. Like, they're small, man. Like, this is a small defense, and I think the Titans could just overpower them. And I think that's where the Titans probably have uh, the biggest advantage over this team. Um, what do you What do you think? What do you think the Titans' biggest advantage is going to be going into this game? Henry's a good one. I almost wrote about that today, and I'll probably write about it tomorrow, where uh, I looked in last year, the Giants were bottom uh, 10 in first downs allowed by the run and yards per attempt uh, in the running game. So that that was a big problem for them. And, uh, you know, they don't face anybody nearly as talented as Derrick Henry, and much less a Derrick Henry who's been told all offseason that, he doesn't have it anymore and that, you know, it's time to hand over the crown and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And, you know, you look at the offensive, the Titans offensive line, whether you have problems with it or not, last season, Henry was on pace to rush for, I don't know, 500 attempts, but he was, he was, you know, set to break 2000 yards based on his, on the pace he was at. And that was with, you know, a revolving door at left tackle, whether it was, uh, he didn't play with Bobby Hart, but he did play with uh, Lawan and Kendall Lamb, and that might have been it. I, I don't think he played with anybody else, but then there was also the issues that they had with Saffold and his neck, you know, just not being healthy, and then Nate Davis, who was struggling with COVID twice and had his own issues, and then just the fact that they had David Questenberry was a problem in and of itself, so you have to look at this offensive line and think that they're in a better place than they were last year. So, you know, not, and and not to mention somebody who doesn't get talked about nearly enough, even on this podcast. And that's Austin Hooper, who I've tried to write about as frequently as I can without being annoying, but Austin Hooper and Tory Carter are the guys who are going to make this running game a lot better and who are going to get almost no publicity. But Tory Carter has been fun to watch since day one. I mean, he goes, you know, he'll run into the B gap if it's power or whatever, and he'll run like an absolute insane person and just stick his face mask in a linebacker's chest and drive him four yards back and create this massive rushing lane. And he'll get out in front on, you know, pitches or, or whatever. I mean, he's he's so fun to watch, number 44. And then Hooper is one of the better run blockers uh, in the NFL at tight end. And then Robert Woods is, is really good at wide receiver too, but the only way you get to Robert Woods is if everybody else is blocking. So, you know, those guys are going to do a, a lot to improve the running game. And, uh, you know, 
if all that if if everything checks you know and looks like what it's supposed to do on paper then yeah like Derrick Henry should gash the Giants so yeah I mean I'm I'm with you there uh, real quick, uh, pop quiz. Could you name me the other two cornerbacks on the Giants? It's some one of their names is like Robinson or something. Uh, Correct. Because Aaron Robinson is one. Yeah, of them. from uh, the 2021 draft. And then I, I don't know the other one. Uh, like I, I look, I yeah. looked it up this morning, and I can't tell you who they are. Yeah, so they have a Dory, obviously. Then the other cornerbacks are Aaron Robinson, Darnay, Darnay Holmes, um, a rookie, Cordell Flott, and a guy named Nick McLeod. I mean, Tannehill should be able to gas these guys, too. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think they're severely limited um, on talent on defense. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't see... I don't see a way that the Titans struggle struggle heavily, at least on offense. Um, but uh, on the flip side, where do you think the Giants could theoretically um, take advantage of the Titans? Um, I could start. I, I think Saquon is, is going to be a dangerous um, piece, uh, just player for this whole season. I, I think he's finally healthy. Uh, I think Brian Dable is a very smart coach who knows how to get the best out of his position players. And I definitely think Saquon could pose some um, some problems for the Titans, especially now that Harold Landry um, is out. The Titans might have some trouble setting the edge, particularly on his side um, or even on some of these screen passes. Uh, Saquon could probably take advantage uh, of that loss. He's just a really dynamic player, but um, he does have a lot of, you know, plays where are just negative like he'll have five straight one yard runs and then he breaks a 60 yard or so he is a very intermittent type of player but I, I think that's that's the best way for the for the Giants to take advantage yeah I mean I think that the, I had two things written down and Barkley was number one because we don't know how long same thing with McCaffrey like you don't know how long you're going to get a healthy version of these guys just because of how much they've been injured the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, if Saquon Barkley was magically 100% healthy in what he was coming out of college, like, he can be a weapon whether you want to throw it to him, hand it to him, use him a jet. So, I mean, like, he was a freak at Penn State. So, you know, if you get that guy, that guy's dangerous, especially when you think about it's – generally harder to tackle in week one than it is most other times just because one your starters haven't gotten as many reps so they get gassed earlier and two they're not used to live tackling again especially if they're they've been sitting out of of preseason games and so and we've all seen what the titans have done uh with their starters and on defense in the past so yeah like that that's a concern um I, th- I think it it's slightly elevated because it's supposed to be. I looked this morning; it's supposed to be 79 degrees and raining uh, all weekend, essentially in Nashville. So uh, that that makes it even more difficult to tackle. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. Like e- even saying that, I can't imagine a world realistically where. Saquon Barkley is better than Derrick Henry 
And it's like it, you you can say that they have because I think it's a fair thing to say that their running game might have a good matchup against our defense if they're having difficulty tackling and he can get against the corners and all that kind of stuff. But by the same token, if the Titans can do that, I think that they've got a, a much better you know matchup issue on their side than the Giants do. So. It's hard for me to look at that as a clear advantage. Like, like I say, I think you're right. But then when I think about it in the context of, oh, is Barkley better than Henry? No. Is the is the Titans offensive line worse than the Giants offensive line? No. Uh, okay, well then, you know, wh where's the issue? So I, I think you're right. But the only thing I could really write down where I thought, okay, this this is a clear disadvantage. Um is is uh, Leonard Williams versus Aaron Brewer and, you know, that kind of size matchup. If they wanted to line him up in uh, the left B gap and kind of have him play like a four eye on Taylor Lewan where Brewer would be asked to reach or block out on him a lot. I think he can anchor and really mess up that uh, that run on the outside if they want to run left. But Luckily, they feel confident enough in Nicholas Petit Frere, and they should in Nate Davis. Where if they do that and they're putting all their eggs in the basket of you're not going to run on the le left side, like you know, sorry, well, great, you know, then run on the right side. So I, I don't know, like they have mismatches on paper because they've been drafting high enough for a long time. But uh, all in all, like it, unless Barkley just you know hits the HGH and gets back to what he was day one of his rookie season. Uh, it, it's tough for me to buy all the way in. Same. I'm gonna be honest. I'm kind of struggling to to really find, um, pot like positive things to say about the Giants. Like I, I think they have decent players. Like I think they have talented position players, and we could talk about them with this next topic because um, Sterling Shepard reportedly uh, is gonna play in this game, uh, which caught me by surprise because he tore his Achilles nine months ago i think it was so this has been kind of a miraculous recovery uh, but we all know that achilles tears are, are pretty complicated things and, and people don't come back um to their full selves uh for quite a while even if they ever do um do you think shepherd coming back and Kadarius tony finally being healthy um after a couple weeks um that he was uh sidelined or limited um, do you think that does anything to affect the Titans on defense? Because, I mean, the Giants could theoretically go four wide on a lot of these plays uh, just because they have Kenny Galladay, Tony uh, Shepard, and Wandell Robinson, the, the little Kentucky guy who's supposedly um, their starting slot receiver right away. Um, they also have Darius Slayton, who they fielded some trade offers for, but he's still an explosive downfield threat um, in the right situation. Do you think... Maybe that's that's where the Giants try to attack the Titans uh, in, in terms of spreading them out with uh, with four receivers. I I think I don't think that's a bad strategy because like I don't they don't have anything at tight end that really scares you so you might as well stretch the Titans out laterally as much as you can or horizontally or however you want to say it. But I mean I don't think they want to I mean. So the way I think about it is this with them, because I looked at their offensive line this morning. Shane Lemieux, who was supposed to be their starter at left guard, got put on injured reserve after the season started because of a toe injury he got, I believe, in week one of the preseason. I cannot remember his name right now, but they have uh, North Carolina. Um, they have a 
they drafted a guy at, from North Carolina to be their starting left guard. Well, not to be their starting left guard, but he's a third-round rookie who is going to be their starting left guard this week. Um, and he's also struggled with injuries. So your your left guard is a rookie from not that it really matters, but not from an SEC school. It matters a little bit to me, <laughs> but. Uh, and he's been up and down in the preseason, and he's only played one game at left guard because he got injured after that one and didn't get a chance to play in the other ones. Then at center, you have John Feliciano, who was cut by the Bills and who spent more time at left guard and right guard in his career than he has at center, Uh, at least over the last three years. I didn't go back farther than that. So that's, you know, okay. You know, we'll see how that goes. Then you have uh, Glowinski, who was a right guard with the Colts, who did fine, but he didn't do fine every time he played the Titans, and those were some of his worst games. So you've got that interior, and you've got the quarterback who's fumbled it more than any other quarterback in the league, and I believe more than any other player in the league over the last three years in Daniel Jones. And you're going to ask those guys to stand up and protect 30, 40, 50 times a game against, you know, Danico Autry and Weaver and Dupree and uh, Jeffrey Simmons and Tier Tart and Naquan Jones and, uh, you know, David Long if they blitz him and Cunningham. And you're getting all these guys attacking this group that has not practiced together really and was not expected to be the starting trio. And, and you're doing that that many times. I mean, like, that seems like a recipe for disaster. Like, I think they're going to want to run the ball as much as possible, but even then, you know, is attacking the corners of the Titans, the best way to beat them because McCreary's looked phenomenal. Uh, Christian Fulton played at a pro bowl level last year, and I've seen nothing to indicate that he's fallen off this year. Elijah Molden wasn't at practice, but, in nickel situations, they're going to go to, I believe, Caleb Farley being the outside corner and McCreary going inside. Okay. I mean, like, I, I've, I've seen him match up with SEC receivers like Wando Robinson was. I watched him do it in, in college. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure it'll be the exact same, but he, you know, he looked good for the most part there. And then you've got Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker. So, you know, that that's a pretty tough group to try to throw on consistently and beat them like that, especially when your quarterback is not exceptionally accurate when the few times he does have a chance to get the ball off. So, I, like you said, like they do have an interesting group of wide receivers, and if they played them in week eight and they'd built you know a rapport and you know had really gotten it together, maybe. But Shepard sat out practice yesterday, I believe, just on a personal day. I think he practiced on Tuesday. But, I mean, that guy's got almost no reps in the preseason with uh, Daniel Jones. And then you've got a rookie and a second-year guy in Tony. And Tony was not healthy or dependable in his first season and, you know, had his stuff where he was late to meetings or whatever. And on top of all of that in the offensive line stuff, they're learning a new playbook. I just I don't know how open that passing game is going to be week one, and I definitely don't know how open it's going to be in the third quarter of week one after they've kind of run out of, you know, tricks to pull up the pull out of their sleeves. So 
We'll see. I mean, that's that's kind of how they have to, unless they're confident that the run game can get something going. But man, I mean, that's asking a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to play like devil's advocate here for the Giants to to kind of say that they could pose a real threat on offense because they have talented players. Uh, but like you said, Shepard's coming off the Achilles. Kadarius Tony has been limited and or out of practice for the past couple of weeks. Wondell Robinson is a five foot seven rookie. Kenny Galday doesn't even want to be there. He's mailing it in at practice and in games. Um, and then you look at you look at their tight end depth chart. Like they have a rookie, Daniel Bellinger, who I think was was talented, but he's a rookie, and rookie tight ends tend to struggle. Their other tight end is Tanner Hudson, um, who I think got cut by the Buccaneers um, a year ago or something like that. Uh, and then they have Chris Myerick, who's actually a fullback and isn't even a tight end. This is a weird team. Like, I don't really I don't really know what they're going to do. That might be bad. That might be bad for the Titans because we have no idea what they're going to attack us with. And Brian Dable's a very, you know, creative uh, type of offensive mind. But I'm almost at the point where I'm thinking their best chance to sustain drives and score points is just run the ball with Daniel Jones and Saquon on these read options for like the entire game. I think that might be actually their best chance and get some RPO off of that. Um, that probably will be the best way for them to attack the Titans defense. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they just decided, okay, we are not going to be able to run it up the gut because they, they just beat us up the middle, but Maybe we can try to go heavy personnel and try to get, you know, pull some guards and get outside and use a fullback and get outside and then run some kind of concepts that makes them flow laterally to the point where maybe we can cut some stuff back inside or whatever. But I mean, it's so hard to ask a guard to beat Zach Cunningham or David Long to the outside. Like if if it was Evans or or Brown from last year, like, yeah, you could probably do that a lot because they didn't know how to read what they were seeing. But not only are you asking, you know, your tackles to come block down or your centers to pick up Simmons by themselves or whatever in the meantime, but you also have to say, okay, you know, if we have two pulling guards, we've got to make sure that they don't just absolutely swallow up the running back before he even makes it to the guard. So I, I don't know. Like if I'm playing devil's advocate, the only way that I can see the Titans losing is they spend all week preparing for Daniel Jones to keep it and for them to run, you know, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, and to just run out of that 11 personnel over and over. And then they just come out and they run three tight ends and they, you know, they try to run the ball down the Titans throat and it's either Saquon Barkley behind eight guys blocking or it's Daniel Jones keeping it and maybe throwing it, you know, a deep post route or something or keeping it. And they just do that under the, the hopes that they can win a 14 to 10 game. And by that token, they would have to just absolutely have Derrick Henry sniffed out. Uh, they would have to have a Dory Jackson on Nick Westbrook, Akina and the double team uh, Robert Woods and Hooper would have to, you know, get a bunch of catches but not break anything. And, you know, Kyle Phillips would have to, like, be held in check somehow. But, like, I mean, you're, you, they would have to ask the Titans to make mistakes 
and they would have to ask them to listen to Todd Downing for them to really have any any great chance of winning. So, I, I mean, it's it's going to be tough. Uh, like it, it's going to be tough for the Giants, and you know, I, I'm I'm sure we can overthink it, and I'm sure that Mike Keith will tell us that it's actually the you know the hardest game on the Titans' schedule, but I, it it's it's a very beneficial matchup for the Titans. Yeah, I really think the only way the Jets win this game, the Giants win this game, um, is if the Titans' offense is just a complete disaster. Um, and it might be. We we don't know. Maybe they shut down Derrick Henry and, and Todd Downing can't get Tannehill to do anything. It's possible. It, it very much is. But I don't see it happening, especially um, at home in front of a raucous crowd week one. Uh, I think the Titans should and, and will handle their business. Uh, we're going to take a ad break here, and then we're going to come back and wrap up with Stop the Nonsense. Welcome back in to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. Will, what is your stop the nonsense? I believe you have several of them. Yeah, I already went through one, and I, I'm I'm just going to pare it down to uh, this one because I, I don't want to keep this podcast going all day long. Um, and my first one was about the definition of edge and how we've just got to stop. There's no difference in the position that Harold Landry played and what you know uh, Danica Autry's listed as, and I've seen that uh, seen that kind of stuff mentioned a lot, where it's like, well, the Titans actually list this guy as a defensive end, but this guy's an outside linebacker. Doesn't matter. Um, but I, I want to talk about uh, this weird bet that I saw, and you've probably seen if you've been on my uh, if you follow me on Twitter. But for whatever reason, and I have a theory about that, a ten fool thing. Um, Vegas released their prop bets for the Titans and Giants game last week. And I believe this happened on Sunday morning. So they released it, released it. Music City Bets um, tweeted it out and said, you know, they, they were talking about Derrick Henry's. Uh, he, he was like plus 260 to score a touchdown at any time. And I said, OK, so I went through and looked and I tried to see what Vegas thought. Uh, the Titans were going to score, you know, who's going to score for the Titans, whatever. And I scroll all the way down to the bottom, and the last Titan that's mentioned is Kyle Phillips at plus 3,000. So if you don't bet a lot, you know, that means that it's 30 to 1 odds. So if you bet $100, you'd win $3,000. And that's if Kyle Phillips scores a touchdown at any point in time. So I'd, I'd quote tweeted this, and I thought, you know, because that's crazy value because he should be their starting slot receiver. He should play half the reps. You know, in the red zone, uh, there was the, one of the last practices of the season. Mike Vrabel called out the best two route, red zone route runners on the team uh, against the best two red zone defenders on the team, and it was, I, I believe it was uh, Fulton and Byard versus – Robert Woods and Kyle Phillips was the other guy. So like it, they clearly respect what he can do in short area. We've seen what he did to Logan Ryan in that clip, et cetera, et cetera. And for them to have him at 30 to one odds for a touchdown at any point in the game was crazy. So I, I tweeted that out and, you know, I, I thought it was crazy, but you know, maybe they know something I don't, but now the odds, you know, uh, again, Music City Bets has been tracking this all week, and now the odds are plus 320, which means that you now make 10% as much money as you would have if you bet on Sunday when I said it, because 
either the number has gotten bet into oblivion or it was a miscalculation and they didn't they put for some reason they they calculated something wrong and forgot what they were doing or, or whatever but it, it, it's they basically admitted that they were so wrong and now Kyle Phillips is one of like I think the three or four Titans who are most likely to catch a touchdown pass or rush a touchdown or whatever it is. So I, if you got that early and you listen, you know, you follow me on Twitter, congratulations, because I hope you make a lot of money, but it just, it, it reminds you that don't always take the Vegas lines and, you know, the Vegas opening bets and everything at face value, because th- there's a lot of times when they know a lot of things, but they don't know everything about the team and they really don't know everything about the Titans. So uh, just another time where you should follow your, you know, your local people who cover your team every single day. Yeah, I, I'm not a betting man, but um, I might have to start betting after hearing that the Kyle Phillips thing. That is that is crazy. I should have jumped on that one when I had the chance. But you heard it first. You heard it here first, people. Will is a Vegas line mover. So stay tuned for future uh, for future bets on the podcast. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we're legally allowed to say that, but anyway, I'm gonna go with my stop the nonsense. It's uh, Bart Scott, who is apparently a talking head on ESPN. He on the Get Up Get Up ESPN show, I think it is, uh, with Mike Greenberg and a couple other people. He had, I, I don't know, he went on a rant on the Chiefs today for some reason. Um, and I'm just going to go through some of the outlandish things he said. I'm going to start with the most basic one. He said the Chiefs will miss the playoffs, um, which, fine. I, I mean, that's fine. It, it, it's okay uh, if he believes that because, you know, the AFC West is a tough division for sure. Um, but I'm pretty sure Andy Reid hasn't missed the playoffs. What? I think he missed, he missed the playoffs once, I think, with the Chiefs. Yeah, in 2014. Um, and every— Every other year, he has either finished first or second. Actually, that year he did finish second uh, in the AFC West, but they did miss out on the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I, I'm going to bet, bet against uh, that happening. But anyway, he had a couple other uh, a couple other doozies. He said that there's no fear of Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West. Um, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, if the other teams in the division didn't fear him, then why did the Broncos go out and trade for Russell Wilson? Why did uh, the Raiders go out and trade for Devontae Adams, um, sign Chandler Jones? Why did the Chargers sign Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson? Like, I feel like that means they're a little bit scared about the Chiefs and of Patrick Mahomes in the division. And they know that there's no other way they would win the division uh, if they didn't make those moves. So that was pretty dumb. And then he comes out with this one. He says, the Chiefs always have a drag-out fight with the Raiders. Um, Score check. The Chiefs have won 13 of their last 15 games against the Raiders, outscoring them 455 to 268. Uh, And last season, the Chiefs beat the Raiders 41 to 14 and 48 to 9. So just a complete, complete uh, false, like completely false statement, which is insane. Um, and then he ended it all uh, because he was arguing with the other guys. And he said Andy Reid got fired for a reason. Uh, yeah, he got fired in 2012 after 14 seasons with the Eagles, uh, after getting them to the Super Bowl. Um, just 
just a ridiculous, ridiculous segment all around. It was only a minute, and he got out all of this, all of this spew. It was honestly incredible to watch. Uh, but it's another, another one of those uh, things where these guys get airtime for no reason. Bart Scott doesn't say anything interesting, anything of value. I'm not sure he even understands what he's saying. It seems like he he doesn't because of this segment that I just watched and a bunch of other segments that I've seen of his. And it's just annoying, man. Like these people don't deserve uh, to, to to be able to speak so freely on these on these shows when there are much more qualified people. I don't care that he played football. It doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, like, it's insane. Like, I I watched that clip earlier today. Like, I I don't know. Like, I I don't – this is what happens when you have an offseason this long. And I know the offseason isn't, like – it doesn't feel – you know, I I know people complain about there always being something going on in football, like, in every month or or where you're excited about it or wherever you fall on that spectrum. But, you know, other seasons are so long – for like hockey and baseball and basketball, like their off season is so short that they don't have enough time to come up with these terrible takes. And this, these next two days are the last chance for people to say the dumbest things they can possibly say. And then, and then they're going to have to be accountable every day because people are going to actually watch the teams and be familiar with it. And it'll, it'll calm down a little bit and then they'll get ultra conservative and they'll just go what they've been saying for the last 20 years. But it's so it it's wild to me because it happened a little bit last year too with Mahomes where everybody just forgets that he's the best young quarterback in the NFL. Like it's not close with Lamar Jackson. It's not close with Joe Burrow. It's not close with Justin Herbert. Like you you can say whatever you want to say, and and those are good quarterbacks. But Mahomes is just better than everybody else, and that's fine. Like I mean, maybe his peak was last year two years ago you know maybe that'll turn out to be true but based on everything we've seen from uh, almost every start in his career other than the start of last season I I mean I don't know what you can see to say a team's not going to be scared of that guy if they're not scared of him they're not scared of anybody Uh, you know if, if a team is not scared of Patrick Mahomes and that offense then it's because they're not watching the tape properly. It's the whole Urban Meyer. I mean, Urban Meyer wasn't scared of Aaron Donald because he didn't know who number 99 on the Rams was. Like, you can be ignorant and not be scared, but you should be uh, you should be very concerned when you have to play the Chiefs. So uh, I, I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know either. I mean, the only plausible uh, argument to be made for the Chiefs to miss the playoffs um, would be that Mahomes just is is kind of a shell of himself with Tyreek Hill gone, but I, I don't know. And then the, maybe the defense is going to fall apart, but I, it's just his, his arguments were just ridiculous. Like he did not frame them in, in the right way, um, and it seemed like he really was just going for for shock value. But this is why I don't like. This is why I don't I don't, I don't watch these shows. The only reason that I even see these things are because of clips that get shared on twitter and maybe they're just doing it on purpose but it is what it is anyway we're gonna finish up here uh we're gonna be back next week to recap the titans hopefully they will win against the giants when convincingly and we'll have plenty uh to talk about in the recap and then the preview of week two 
As always, uh, I'm Matias, your host, along with Will Lomas, uh, and we'll see you next week. And remember to always stop the nonsense.